itself. Go yeah, for it. Seriously. Wow. Thanks, guys. Um, that's really fun. So the last time I had a microphone, um, I got to tell all the ladies that I was pregnant. Um, and that was really, really fun. Um, but what it taught me in that moment, because they like, guys, you weren't there, but they lost it. They freaked out. Like, Tanisha started bawling. Like, it was intense. And I felt so bad because, like, I was lying. Um, and I was like, wow. But what it taught me in that moment is like, man, I need to tell people, like, when I am pregnant, I need to tell them in front of a crowd because that was so fun. And um, the timing of all of this is, like, impeccable that I have a microphone now um, because I wanted to tell you guys I'm not pregnant. <laughs> Just kidding. Gotcha. <laughs> Surprise, David. <isn't it? laughs> oh, man. I just thought of that one, like, five seconds before I came up here, and I was like, I should do that. So, anyways, okay. <sighs> Well, guys, I'm really excited. Wow! The glory of the Lord is here. Um, Okay, I'm really excited um, to share with you guys this morning um, because uh, next week we are are on Advent, uh, and so I think this is our last... um, our last week on Psalms. So I get to wrap it up, uh, which is really, really fun. And uh, two weekends ago, I was mulling on, like, what I wanted to say, and I was really looking forward to this, and, um, and I decided, and then the Monday morning, I, I wrote it all down, and I was like, oh, I'm so excited to share this, it's going to be really good, and then I came to chapel, and Doug so eloquently shared what was on my heart, and I was like, wow, that's amazing, and I loved it, and I was so touched um, by what Doug shared, and, and how he shared it, and I just thought it was so beautiful, and so leaving the chapel, I was like, okay, I got to make some adjustments, but I, I wasn't too stressed because I, I felt God like speaking so clearly to me and he was like, this is where you need to take it, Vic. So I went to Doug and I was like, yo, Doug, can I have your permission? Uh, and he gave it to me. And so this morning I'm going to share with you guys lament part two. Um, and so I'm not going to be like, I'm not at all correcting Doug or, or changing anything that he said. I'm actually just picking up, um, in a sense where he left off and telling you, uh, what comes next. And so I'm really excited about it. So before we jump into it too, too much, uh, I want to share with you guys my deepest, darkest fear. Uh, and this isn't like an irrational fear for me. This is like full on real, real. Uh, and okay, so if you're asking me like, yo, Vic, what's your deepest fear? I would tell you, my worst fear is that I would be captured and tortured for information. And it's like really real. Like, I, I don't know where that came from or like what it's rooted in. Um, and it's like, like I full on believe, and it makes no sense because of like where I work in the like country that I live in. Um, but like, I full on feel like I'm susceptible to being like captured and tortured for information. And I like, don't even know, like, I just don't know where that's from. And in my mind, it's worse than, like, death, because, like, not that I would be excited to die, but I feel like it would come quicker, uh, and so torture for me is, like, worse than death, because it's just, like, prolonged, um, and so that's my worst, worst fear, uh, and not that I've ever sat down and, like, lamented over this, like, future fear, um, because that doesn't really make sense, but uh, I do think that they're connected, and so that's uh, sort of where I want to land this morning. And I actually want to tell you about the danger of lamenting. So, 
Like Doug shared last week, um, a huge portion of the Psalms are laments. Uh, and actually, uh, most of those laments are individual laments. Uh, and Doug also told us uh, that God has, uh, that lamenting is good for us, that God has opened the doors for us to be able to express to him um, how we're feeling and what's going on and all of those pieces. And I think a couple, a couple Mondays ago, uh, we learned either through Mel or Andrew or a combo of both that like our feelings are a really good gauge for us, but that they're not the truth. Now, some of the Psalms say crazy things like, God, why have you forsaken me? Or how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Or, O oh God, you have rejected us. You've broken us. Now, we know that God hasn't actually broken us or forgotten us. We know that, but we feel it. And when we lament, how we feel about God can very easily become the truth we believe about him if we're not careful. So the danger of lamenting is if we stay in that place the evil and the stubbornness within our own hearts has room to believe that it is true. If I say, God, like, why have you forsaken me long enough? I will believe it. And I know that that's true because that's what I did with a big portion of my own life. I didn't know it necessarily at the time, but I said, like, God, you've left me. I'm alone. And I left it there. And I left it there long enough for my heart to say that's true. So we can't leave any room in our hearts to accept the way we feel about God as the truth. And to show you this, I pulled from what I think is one of the most dramatic psalms. Psalm 22. So if you want, you can flip there with me this morning. Psalm 22, that's where I'm going to be pulling from. So in the first portion of this psalm, so this psalm um, is written, uh, and it's actually super interesting. It's written um, with, like, description of Jesus's, like, death. Like, it's, it's um, yeah, indicative of what, like, will happen to Jesus. Um, but it's very much written out of David's, like, anguish and lament and personal experience. And this is what he says in the first couple verses. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I have no rest. In this first portion of the psalm, David is saying, like, God, I feel totally abandoned. I feel totally alone. And he feels that way for two reasons. One, God is silent. And two, God has failed to act. He says, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. I groan for this, but you don't do anything. And I can't tell you how many times I sit in mentoring And girls share with me, and they're like, I can't hear God. I don't know where he is. And I don't know what he's saying to me. Or they'll say, why isn't God doing anything? 
I'm praying for my family and nothing's happening. Where is he? And I ache inside because I know their stories and I know their circumstances and it sucks. And I hate the conversations I have to have with people sometimes where I feel like I have to prepare them for Christmas or prepare them for something. I hate that. And a little piece of me starts to think, like, God, I've seen you move before. Like, you've changed circumstances before. You've healed people before. Like, why aren't you doing that right now? And that's actually exactly what David goes into next in his psalm. In verse 3, he says, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And when I first read this, I thought he was speaking it out of a a point of praise. But then I was reading about it, and um, he's actually saying it with the tone of like, you've done this for the people before me. Like, my father's trusted in you. And they weren't disappointed. Like, why aren't you doing the same for me right now? Even just remembering that God has, like, been there in the past makes his current feelings of abandonment, like, all the worse. He also says, you made me trust you. He makes mention of how he was born from his mother and that God was the first thing that he clung to. And he said, you made me trust you. Like, I've been trusting you since I was a baby, since I literally had to rely on you. And so why aren't you here right now? And then David's lament gets even deeper. And so not only is he now feeling completely abandoned and alone, completely left by God, he starts to describe his physical world. (laughs) And he makes mention to bulls and lions And starts talking about people that are surrounding him. And so now he's completely alone. Feels that God is completely silent. And then his physical circumstances are the worst. And he is very desperate. It's like the worst possible circumstance. Another really desperate circumstance sees this psalm quoted by someone else. Psalm 22 um, is actually quoted about 24 times in the New Testament. And 20 of those times, the parallels are found 
just in the passion and crucifixion of Christ. So in Matthew 27:46, Jesus is on the cross, and he cries out, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus chose very specifically to quote this psalm. One, because the psalm makes reference to his death, and so it points back and proves that he is who he says he is. But two, Jesus very specifically chose to quote this psalm because it is a perfect model of what our response should look like in the face of abandonment and divine delay. In a different account, in John's account of the crucifixion, after Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just a few short breaths later, he says, It is finished. And he's not saying that out of defeat. He's actually saying that out of victory. Because it's in that moment when he says, It is finished that he knows that God's plans have been made perfect in his faithfulness. And that's exactly what David goes on to do in Psalm 22. He turns to victory. And that's actually where I want to point us this morning. That's actually what I want us to focus on and what comes after lamenting. Verse 19 is where we see that everything changes. And David says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. You, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. And 22 is really significant. And it says, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. And again, we see David say, yet. Whereas in the past, he said, like, yet you did this, God. Like, why aren't you doing it for me now? You did it for the people before me, and they weren't disappointed. But I am disappointed. His yet has changed, and it's become his avenue for hope. His yet changes and says, yet I will praise you. And where he was once frustrated with the disappointment, with the past circumstances that God did move, he's now come to this place and says, yet, like even though I'm frustrated, yet 
I still, I recognize that you were there. I recognize that you were there and that you are praiseworthy. And what I think is so like profound in all of this is that his praises, his hope and his assurance are grounded in Yahweh's past history. But what he's praising, how he's saying his praises is completely contrary to his present circumstance. That like his circumstance hasn't changed at all, but his yet has changed what has come out of his mouth. Not often am I able to utter something that is completely opposite to how I feel. When I'm frustrated or disappointed, it's not easy for me to say, God, you got this. You're in control. I actually want to invite the band back up, if that's cool. Our laments, because we will have laments, because we're promised troubles of many kinds, our laments have to have a yet. We need to turn ourselves to praise. Because if we don't, there's potential that what we say from what we feel is the truth that we believe about who God is. Your flesh will follow what your mouth declares. And so as you lament... Your flesh will follow what your mouth declares and will believe it. And I want to be somebody that when my deepest, darkest fear is realized, although the probability isn't probably that probable, when my deepest, darkest fear is realized, I want to be someone that can go to God and say, This is terrible. I hate this. This really sucks. But I also want to be someone that can find my yet, that changes it. Because I think if I stay in that place, I'll believe it. Unless I have something to turn to. My yet keeps me choosing God. Because I think if I lamented for too long, I wouldn't. The Psalms as a whole, there's more laments than there are hymns. And of those laments, there's more individual ones. And so what I think we can pull from that is that there's lots of individual troubles in life. And Job 14.1 says man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. And so what do we do? We can't avoid the trouble and we know that it's good for our soul to lament. 
So we need to find our yet. It doesn't make him feel closer. And it does not make the situation easier to understand. And it doesn't make my situation better. (laughs) All it does is admits the reality that faithfulness might not result in deliverance. All it does is admit the reality that my faithfulness might not result in deliverance. But that it won't ultimately prevent the plans of God. Jesus himself said, Lord, like would this cup pass by me? I don't want this. Yet, not your will, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. My yet takes me closer to Christ and reminds my soul of what is true, despite how I feel, and it never changes my circumstance, ever. So what's your yet? I lament... over the ripple effect of sin and how that affects my family. I lament over some of your stories because they are hard and I can't do anything about it. I lament when I feel like I'm caught in the same old thing. I lament when I feel pressure from all sides. I lament when I, I don't feel like my my faithfulness and my work produces fruit. Yet, I choose him because he saved me from my past darkest moments. And I know that he will continue to save me. Yet, I praise him because I know that he is good. Every lament should find its way to a yet. So just like my individual lament finds its way to a yet, the entire book of Psalms has many laments, but the last five, something changes. There's a yet there. And the last five psalms are specifically praise psalms. I was made to praise him because he is good. Psalm 145. I was made to praise him because he is an abundant helper. Psalm 146. I was made to praise him because he is a restorer. Psalm 147. I was made to praise him because all creation praises him. Psalm 148. I was made to praise him because he beautifies the afflicted. Psalm 149. I was made to praise him because of his excellent greatness and mighty deeds. Psalm 150. So regardless of your personal lament this morning, 
would you simply find your yet? And if you are having trouble, look at the last five Psalms and read them and pick one that can be your yet. Because we need a yet in our lament to bring us to praise. Otherwise, we might just get caught in the untruth of our feelings, in the untruth of it. And so, I believe that the last words of the last psalm deserve the final word in our series this morning. And I think it's enough to usher us into praising Him to close. And so if you would all stand with me, please, I will read the last sentence. And it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So let's do it. 